at least um well when you say sure thing what are you talking about are you talking about like what i was just saying with the mission impossibles or the yeah oh, are you hanging rewatch I, just I, hit record i already did hit record. oh okay i'm not a i'm not an idiot we're having a good conversation yeah, yeah. about no. film here this yeah, is yeah, perfect yeah. to hit record no it's on. um <laughs> no I, I i'd rather go for the sure thing because like like the mission impossibles because i know what i'm going to get i'm going to get um, 60 year old Tom Cruise hanging off an airplane. Yes. We were having, so it's funny, we were having a conversation related to this, related to the movie we're going to discuss today. Um, we were talking about Thomas Ian Nichols in Please Give, how mm-hmm. sure he is, and how that's oh, like yes. a plot point. Yeah. And I'm like, going, well, I'm like, and Kristen's like, well, all actors are short. Like why? Why hasn't he enjoyed the success of Tom Cruise? I'm like, oh, because Thomas Ian Nichols doesn't hang off planes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He is as as he fine stars as, in American Pie. That's what he does. I was going to say, as fine as he is in in his in his lane, he's not. Uh, he's no. He's no Tom Cruise. Yeah. He's. I mean, kid in King Arthur's court. I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. He's not. Uh, I mean, he's not even. Speaking of of. Uh, uh, Mission Impossible's. He's not even a like an Emilio Estevez. Not even. He, he can't even die in an elevator shaft. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, such a brutal. But like, oh man, that scene. Like you hate to see it, but yeah. also it's it's perfect at the same time. Yeah. But like I remember, like going. I remember going to like the video store. I remember seeing like, I remember renting secrets and lies. Mm -hmm. I remember going to the library thinking I can rent this for free. I've heard about this movie. I hear it's really good. Um, And yeah, I'm like, what? 18. Yeah. And I go see it. And I think it's the most brilliantly acted piece of filmmaking I've ever seen. Like Brenda Bluffton and um, just, being amazing in it. You know, tangentially connected to this, to this conversation because she's in, in um, Lovely and Amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and I feel like I had to, like, I organically found this. Uh-huh. Like, like I read about, I read a review. It, you know, it played, had a good run. It, you know, it had some Oscar noms and, like, and everything. But then, like, I discovered it. I, I see it. I rent it. I watch it. I love it. And like, no one told me, no algorithm told me to get it. Yeah. Whereas, um, I have no block. There's no blockbuster now. I get, I, I right. guess I could go to the library, uh, if it's available, <laughs> uh, at the library to rent something. But at the same time, I'm just kind of like, man, I, I have such limited time and so many things vying for my time. I'm just going to go for the sure thing. Sure. Which means, you're yes, watch, I'm probably you know, watching... GoldenEye again. Yes, I'm probably gonna, watching yeah, GoldenEye. service. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm probably watching GoldenEye or Octopus here for your eyes only mm-hmm. again for the upteenth time uh-huh. just to have something play in the background while I finish the event listings for this month's Phoenix magazine. <laughs> that's, that's funny. <laughs> I, you know, it's interesting. So I want to talk about the algorithm thing. And, and granted... So I'm gonna go through just quickly my my July for for uh, what I've what I've logged on Letterboxd. Okay, and I, Letterboxd, haven't, I haven't checked uh, your Letterboxd. I just know that you watched this movie. And, and twice. just you know, let's quickly throw this out there. This is Mental Platypus. I'm Jared. I'm Jason. 
Uh, find us at mental underscore platypus. Find Jason at Jason E. Kyle, K-E-I-L. Um, Patreon, support us, blah, blah, blah. After a six-week hiatus. Yeah, it's it's great that we still know how to do this. Um, and <laughs> you might as well strap in because, frankly, uh, when, when two friends who love pop culture uh, don't talk for almost an entire month, it's gonna, it, it might get long. I've seen a lot of shit, and shit's gonna, I've seen a lot of bad shit. <laughs> And I gotta tell you, um, you know the bills do Hollywood. <laughs> so, all right. So let's talk. So, and and I'll just preface this by saying a, a large. Okay, first of all, I don't even if it's if it's a movie, I log it. I'm not. I know some people will letter will log uh, like the Carlin documentary on Letterboxd, or they'll log mm. uh, you know a season of some show or something. For me, I'm using this strictly to to log the films I see, and like maybe it's a even if it's like a made for TV movie or something, you know, I, sure I'll log that. But it's it's you know one shot film length kind of thing, and then so I'm just gonna go through this list and we'll talk about like briefly afterwards how a how this has got to be screwing up whatever algorithm is trying to figure out what to recommend to me, and then two, uh, what you know what what informed this. So going backwards. Uh, from most recent to uh, back to beginning of July is Star 80. Please give, rewatch. I Want to Hold Your Hand, All That Jazz, Mission Impossible Fallout, Nope, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, Ghost Protocol, Mission Impossible 3, Lenny, Mission Impossible 2, Mission Impossible, Cabaret, You've Got Mail, Thor Love and Thunder, and Toy Story 4. Nice. What did you think of four? By the way, I actually so I I prefer four to three. Really? Yes. That's a bold choice, my friend. I, I think my ranking on this might go uh, two, one, four, three. Two being the best one. I think so. Okay, yeah. that's for for we're talking Toy Stories, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's yeah. I that's I. Oh, I, I it goes three, two, uh, one, four. Interesting. And again, like, it's like... Even with Forky? Forky... Tony Hale, the master? (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, yes, even with Forky. And again, like, three is just, like, on, like, this just existential crisis of, like, nobody's business. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember just being... um, I remember... Two movies, two M.A. movies have never uh, have um, never made me cry in the movie. Theater. I was going to say I like three I, and, and I'm Alisa. <laughs> I, 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 cry, I, I cried at the end of three. Yeah. Three um, is like just on another level, like emotionally. I am for just I didn't see the point. I, I honestly didn't see the point of it. I liked it again. Like I liked it. But what's like, why does this exist? I hmm, interesting. I, I I mean I liked I liked basically that uh like Bo Peep gets a redemption arc basically. <laughs> so there's that Bo Peep gets to be a badass. Um like you really put the nail in um in Woody being uh just like he's a he's a terrible human being. Like he's he is all about, um, you know, he, he, the, 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 like the shit that he gets his friends into 
you know, just in the name of of trying to like hang on to uh, onto the the uh, uh, relationship with Andy and yeah. all that kind of thing. Well, let's talk about what you just said right there. Huh. You realize you calling Woody a person? Yes. Well, oh yeah. No, I mean that's I mean, that. Let's, I let's let's dissect that for a second. <laughs> I I think knowing full well yes he's a toy um, but they that's what they did is that they did I think a fantastic job of actually kind of rounding out some of these these and that's I mean that's how that's how Pixar gets you at their best mm-hmm. is to imbue these you know whether it's a robot or whether it's you know uh an emotion or whatever, or, or in cases of like, I think Incredibles two is just one of the greatest films period. Oh yeah. Period. (laughs) So, I mean, that's, that's things. I, the, the fact that, and, and I think their moment has probably passed if you look at what they've released for a while. And, 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 the fact that also where at this point really is the line between what's a Pixar movie and what's a Disney movie. Um, It's, it's, it's such a fine line. My, uh, my son would disagree with you on this point. Really? Yeah. Well, because he saw, he saw two Pixar movies this week. Okay. He saw Lightyear, which he enjoyed. Can't tell me anything about it. Um, (laughs) I have no interest in seeing Lightyear, by the way. I, it's going to come to Disney plus. I'm going to watch it. Mm. Um, when it comes out, I think um, did, the meta idea is is interesting about it being the movie that the toy's based on. But I didn't. I wasn't rushing out to the theater. Yeah, to see uh, it. The only reason why Beckett got to see it was because it was like a field trip for camp. Gotcha. He saw Turning Red at camp too. Which was that was also a, Pixar? That's a Pixar. Okay, that one which I was a surprise to see. That one is a surprising choice for camp. Um. Mm especially with first graders, but he loved, loved, loved it. Interesting. Um, I mean, that's the one I've heard the best. That one. And that one is with, um, with, uh, up to about the ending, which I, it takes a turn and I'm not going to spoil it. Yeah, please don't. But the ending my life goes is in, small enough as yeah. it is. I would like to, to be the ending to- goes like in a weird place, but which is definitely aimed towards the youths. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, youths. <laughs> um, Thank you, Mr. Pesci. <laughs> um, but um, other than that, like it's really solid. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I like Luca. Soul's really good. Um, uh, you know, so I haven't seen Luca. I haven't seen Soul. I haven't seen Encanto. Um, Encanto is not. Encanto is Disney, so it's. Well, but yeah. again, I like yeah. it's, you know, like I see Encanto come up. I'm like, is that Disney? Is that Pixar? What is what is the difference these days? Yeah, I, the line to me begins to blur when you've got, um, you know, the Wreck It Ralph movies, which are Disney, yeah. and you've got uh, like Big Hero Six, which is also Disney, but seems like it could have been a Pixar. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for a while, these were all under. Like the head of Pixar at one time was John Lasseter. Right. Yeah. And at that time he was in charge of both Pixar Mr. and Disney. Lot. <laughs> yeah. Who, by the way, his his new joint mm-hmm. is coming with a movie this Friday uh, uh, on Apple TV Plus, uh, which 
Oh, I think I saw the, the Luck movie. Yeah, I think I saw which could either be like secretly brilliant, but it looks it does not look it like does it not is. Look if like it, it I is. mean, if it is brilliant, it's definitely secret in there somewhere because <laughs> it does not look like it's going to be any good. Yeah, because the mark. I think uh, Tim Cook needs to take a take a good hurry look at the marketing team mm-hmm. uh, for Apple TV Plus because because um, the nothing, trailer for that sucks. Yeah, and nothing. <laughs> Like nothing on Apple TV looks as good as it does advertising. Makes me not want to watch it. That's that's an interesting thing, right? Because I don't think I really saw anything for Severance. I just was like, oh, okay, this uh, this has Adam Scott and it's it's uh, it's a Ben Stiller joint. I'm interested. I'll watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the same with actually, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever watched an Apple TV show on the strength of or even because of whatever trailer or advertisement I yeah. saw for it. I didn't even know Ted Lasso existed until Kristen told me uh, they were talking about on Fake Doctors Real Friends. Mm. And like I saw like like because I have an Apple TV box. I must have talked about it at some yeah. point because I watched the whole first season. Well, yeah. Well, eventually like we watched it and we like we, we realized how secretly brilliant it is. Mm-hmm. But like no one like would have gone to seek it out it's kind of crazy right i mean because even things like like let's say greyhound or um that's the tom hanks one right yeah that ended up going there even though he wanted it to be in theaters yeah um (laughs) which he's not quiet about um but but like i i realize he's a man who's proud of his work but not not a great one i I, I wasn't wasn't it's it is interesting like they haven't found their their flavor yet of or at least if they have found their flavor it's not a good flavor but they're really bad in a thousand right now they're i mean that's probably the service that i end up watching the most currently mm-hmm. i mean and part of that is due to the fact that that's how i watch better call saul because I, that's where i have my amc ad on mm-hmm. um but you know watching physical watching um a mythic quest mm-hmm. uh Ted Lasso, Severance. Um, trying to think of what else I've seen on there uh, recently. Yeah, like I'm watching Trick Next Door, which I like. We were talking. Eh, I kind of. I think it's fine. Um, I'm physical up until the last episode of the first season was brilliant. I haven't even bothered. You haven't watched really? Okay, because that's. I I think it goes interesting places. Rose Byrne is fucking brilliant, and honestly, like Rory Scoville gets to kind of. Really? Take off in this second season, I think. I'm just um, don't care. I, well, I, I, I mean, mean we'll, I care, we'll and I'm probably gonna watch. I'll probably end up watching it just out of duty. <laughs> you said duty. duty yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, everywhere I, I go, everywhere I go, I'm surrounded by six year olds, <laughs> both literal and physical. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh. I you know we're, we're, I've I've lived alone for a while now. No, it's just funny because we're cracking down on the pie talk, the literal pie talk. Because right now he's obsessed. He's a very obs- Becca is very obsessed with scatological humor. Uh, oh, haha. <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> um, uh, so I was just to hear you say duty, it's like, oh, I, I want to tell you, I want to just tell you, no, no, you don't get to watch. No, you have to go to your room. <laughs> I'm sorry. We have to end the recording because I have to go into timeout. 
man. I told you yesterday at the movie theater. <laughs> yeah. But so, I mean, that's why I, it's interesting that the, um, well, we were talking about this in the brief period we were talking before we turned on the mics. Um, we're talking about how, uh, you know, the, the way, like why I watch something is a lot different these days, mm-hmm. you know, and, and reapproaching things that I, I either, because there was a time I, I would have just, and I did, uh, just on principle, I didn't watch any of the Mission Impossible films because I was like, oh, this is just, this is just like, shoot him up popcorn fair. I'm much deeper than this. This You're, is, you know. I don't, I'm not going to IP, I'm not going to watch some IP trash. Exactly. I mean, the fact, I mean, the, the me in my, of my late teens and early 20s would be appalled that there's at the, and I think pretty healthy mix of watching art house films and blockbusters mm-hmm. because I think objectively there is such a thing as a good blockbuster. Oh yeah. And I, you know, uh, I, I, I think five out of the six mission impossibles are good examples of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think top gun, uh, you know, I think Maverick basically oh my Maverick God. is a great example of that. And let's take a look at, let's discuss that for a minute. Okay. Cause that movie has made over $600 million domestic in yeah. America. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's still in the top five. Is I, I think it's Paramount's highest grossing film of all time now. How did that happen in COVID? It, it's an incredible film. Well, you know what? Basically, here's the thing: if there is a person alive, uh, or let's say potentially uh, not alive and actually a robot for the last decade or so, uh, it can be can overcome a pandemic. It's Tom Cruise. Yeah. I just, he would just, he would just kick, you know, kick the, the pandemic's ass or throw it off a building or something. And, you know. And what's funny is, is that the move, the first movie is essentially a recruitment film for the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would argue that to a degree, Maverick is also in that vein but also it's like mm, it's yes. got everything it's got nostalgia it's got eye-popping visuals it's got it's got jennifer connelly i'll <laughs> hail the goblin queen <laughs> labyrinth yeah Go. oh yeah that's um am i getting those yeah. No, okay. I'm I'm getting Legend and Labyrinth mixed up in my head right now. No, that's Mia Sarah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, yeah. But still, also let's 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 stand some yeah. that period Mia Sarah. <laughs> yes, the mid eighties are very good. Oh, the mid eighties was good to Mia Sarah after Time Cop. I don't know what she's been up to, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh well, I can tell you a little bit. Apparently, she's been writing. She she actually submitted work to um to one of the literary magazines at ASU. No shit, really? Yeah. I think she's published in, um, I want to say it's, uh, it's not Hayden's Ferry. It's the other one. It's the online one. Okay. Um, oh, man. I don't well, know why I can't think of it off the top of my head. But anyway, yeah, I think you can search for her and find her work up on there. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Like, But I also think she got published because she's Mia Sarah. <laughs> so... I mean, what's uh, one of one of ASU's, you know, literary magazines is going to turn down uh, yeah. a Mia Sarah story? Yeah. I mean, the whole actress seems, from, yeah. a, from a popular AS teen film. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, oh, so we're we're uh, so talking about Top Gun, like it's got everything, like and yeah. it doesn't. I think what I think I like about I think that's why America likes it. Makes about Miles Teller sympathetic. Yeah, like it makes me realize how good he, how good of an actor he is again. Yeah, and there's no agenda to this movie. And I'm sorry, you know, as I have so many problems with with um, with Tom Cruise the person, but man, that guy on screen is just. Nonstop fucking charming. Yeah, uh, it's you know it, it's it's just the like yeah it's it's impossible to deny and I, I'm I'm sorry I you know it's to uh, sure I'll 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 uh, you know get thirsty for Tom Cruise for just a sec. Um, I, I as far as like that, it's interesting because I I think that he's probably like the worst at at sex scenes. Let's say. Um, but <laughs> as far as like being just like in a, uh, what, what sex scene have you seen him in? Like, Oh, you, th- I'm thinking of the Tanny Newton scene in mission possible Two. Um, oh yeah. That's, that's terrible. That's not um, his fault. That's John Woo's fault. Well, I mean, even, even the, like the, the scene with him and Connolly is not, is not terrible. I mean, it seems at least more age appropriate also. Yeah. Um, and less just, objectifying Connolly's body where very much they were objectifying <laughs> Tandy Newton. Uh, but I, you know, he's just an undeniable movie star mm-hmm. and probably one of the last ones. Yep. It's uh, well, it's funny. It's cause if you're Ethan Hawke, the last movie stars were Joel Whitman. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Which I, I, I need to watch that documentary. I do too. Way, I yeah. do too. Um, but I mean, I, you got Clooney, you got Cruz, and that's um, and it's it's kind of like and Julia Roberts, and, Julia Roberts, yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I saw a preview of them last night. Uh, there's a movie that they're in. It looks like it's like a rom com, mm-hmm. which I haven't seen one of those. Like, you got in a Brad Pitt. Time. Too. Oh yeah, Brad Pitt. Pitt. And as as much as I hate to admit it, DiCaprio. You know, yeah. Um, Why do you hate to admit that? I just, for such a long time, I, I, and we've talked about this on Mike before, we don't need to rehash it. For such a long time, I just resisted DiCaprio on principle. I just thought he was, I, I, I just didn't like him. Uh, so it goes back to our argument that you, that 20 years ago, it goes back to the argument where 20 years ago, you would be upset that you were watching blockbusters uh, kind of yeah and, i mean and that's uh, he was you know it was uh, my exposure to him was what's eating gilbert grape and titanic and i hated titanic yeah well to be fair like his mid-90s output he you've got one you got two winners which i like titanic um you're not the only one yeah, i'm yeah. in the minority on titanic I, i'm but, well aware but i'm also aware that there are plenty of gaping faults in titanic mm. um but his two winner oh yeah i forgot gilbert grape he's got three winners this Boy's Life, mm-hmm. um, Gilbert Grape, and Titanic. And because I don't like, like I, a 20 year old me like hates, hates, hates Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yeah. I'm, I, yeah, I don't. Anything like, then, then, of course, five years later, that, that dude um, loves, loves, loves Moulin Rouge. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Yeah. It's because it's, I don't know, it's his red curtain. I'm not going to give you shit for liking Moulin Rouge. You're not going to give me shit for anything because I'll tell you all the shitty movies you like. Fair enough. (laughs) 
Yeah, but we're, Jeez, this isn't a, a contest. A little defensive, huh? Um, Six weeks, man. I'm. I got the gloves up, man. <laughs> I yeah. No, I. I mean, so. I don't know. I but yes. Well, I mean, once he starts working with with auteurs again, when he's when he begins working with Spielberg, when he begins, you know, before that, Scorsese, um, you know, once once he starts getting in, into that run of things, uh, then yeah, there's there's no. Although I mean, even he couldn't save. Uh, don't look up. No, that movie is. Uh, that movie, I could. I don't know. I like parts of me liked it, and parts of me hate. Like there are parts some of it are things good, and, like, where I feel like it could have it could have been good, and then other. It's it's. I don't think it's it's definitely an argument for McKay not being a great filmmaker. Uh, see, the thing is, is that Big Short is so good. Vice is good, and then he, then I think maybe he just had too much free reign on this one. Well, because like, um, he's not Bombshell, is he? Who did Bombshell? He is that Jay Roach? Is that's Jay Roach's okay. Bombshell, and that one is meh. Mm. Uh, but see, Bombshell feels like a film that McKay would have had a hand. He, in. yeah, I he may have. He, he may have produced it. Hmm. It does seem like a McKay movie, like, but it's it's a Roach movie. And Roach made these kind of movies for HBO. He did, I think, he did the McCain Palin movie. Yeah, I think he did the Recount Florida Recount yeah. movie. Yep. So yeah, he's somebody else who turned hard into making political films. Yeah, and like the thing is, a big short. Well, McKay isn't so hard because if you watch, I mean, I, you know, I to me, Jay Roach is an example of somebody who just like throws it all away, right? Because yeah. he was, he was, he made some good comedies, and he was with Susanna Hoffs. Guess what? He doesn't do anymore. Make good comedies or Susanna Hoffs. Wait, is he? They broke up. Oh yeah, I have no idea. Which means I have a chance. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna, a good one. I'm gonna make this our segue. Oh yeah, okay. You know who else? You you know, you may not have a chance with Catherine Keener, mm. but you may have a chance with her sister, <laughs> who's in Please Give, uh-huh. the movie that we're discussing today. <laughs> and who's to say I don't have a chance with Keener? You know, yeah. It's who's a, to say you don't? It's a, a a big world and a long life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, some would say too long. Listeners, listeners to our podcast who've been listening to the um, Hoff Center, uh, yeah, which is episodes. I guess what well, it's like. It's it's it could basically be subtitled, you know, Jared's thirsty for Catherine Keener. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been it's been a thirst trap. Uh, yeah, everything since outside has been a thirst trap for you. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, which um, I mean. And this and, and this film is no different, um, yeah. it, you know. I, I mean, it, not to mention adding Rebecca Hall in there. <laughs> yes, Rebecca Hall, who's supposed to look like who's supposed to not be pretty, right? Who's supposed to be this kind of like frumpy, doesn't have all her shit together, kind of yeah, you know, is but doing everything for everybody else. Can't pull that off. Can't her pull shit. It off she's her still shit. beautiful. Yeah, it's just she's still beautiful and glamorous looking. It's you know elegant looking rather. Did she do this movie before or after Vicky Christie Barcelona? Is she in? She's the other sister in Vicky Christie Barcelona. Oh, uh, man, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. 
It's actually been a, a, a probably long time about since I've fifteen seen, years since you've seen that movie. Probably, it's, yeah. it's been a long time since I've seen any Woody Allen movie. Um, let's see, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. So while Jared looks up that uh, um, that Woody Allen movie, so uh, no, it's before because Vicky okay. Cristina was two thousand eight. Uh, Please give was two thousand six. Oh, I thought it was two thousand ten. Am I just messing this all up? You're right. It is 2010. Okay, so it's after. It is, so, yeah. So, so Vicky Christina was first, and then you've got Please Give. Yeah. Um, yeah, I um, I do enjoy Rebecca Hall. She directed a new movie for Netflix. Um, Passing, I think it's called. Oh, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, anyway, but, yeah, um, that was my segue. How did I do? Uh, it was a pretty good segue. Thank you. Yep. I wouldn't say it's the good segue, but, um, it, it wasn't bad. I, it's funny cause we were looking, uh, I was, we were, I was looking it up and I, I, some things about it and, uh, Kristen's like, wait, wait, Catherine Keenan has a sister. I'm like, oh yeah, Jerry has a chance now. <laughs> I, you know, I, I would, I would argue that, uh, you know, like I said, who knows anything can happen. I could move to, I don't know, L.A. or whatever, and so would you say bump into Catherine Keener in a coffee shop and just hit it off? Yeah, hey, who's to say? So, I, I wish you luck. You know, I, I um, Beckett uh, was watching the two Percy Jackson movies because uh, he's sort of his thing. I forgot that Catherine Keener's in the first movie. Oh yeah, yeah, she plays Percy Jackson's mom. Uh, who hooks up with a god? So I mean, you got a lot to compete with there. Well, I, I don't want to brag too much, but ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy. But anyhow, would, but would you say this movie is about white guilt? Oh yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, that's actually one of the things in my notes. I said, "What is this?" Um, there's a lot about white liberal guilt uh, as an undercurrent. Uh, it's 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 very much playing directly into that um so i mean even like i think the scene that kind of explores that is when she tries to give money to the guy waiting in line oh yes yeah the man who's like i'm waiting for a table and she's (laughs) she tries to give him her leftovers i'm waiting for a table yeah yeah um all right so let's talk about this let's give this the context though that it deserves so yeah it was released April 30th, 2010. Um, or at least that was like the... Um, New York, LA date. The, yeah. The, the, not the... It was, it was it played at Sundance in January of that year. Let's okay. say. So, but the wide, the, the quote unquote right, wide release was, was April 30th, 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this time, we're looking at the... Stellar top five of uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, How to Train Your How to Train Your Dragon, which I think is a good movie. That is I, a good movie. I will stand by that one. I will um, stand for that movie. Date Night. That one's... I've never seen Date Night. That's it's the Carell and, and Tina Fey, right? Yep. I, I will pretty much largely give anything Tina Fey is in a chance just because then it gives me an excuse to watch... It's something with Tina Fey for a while. It's good for um, 
It's good. I, I it's good, but it's good. Like it's one, it's one and done. Mm. You're not gonna, you're not gonna revisit it again. Uh, the backup plan. Oh my god. For four, yeah. Um. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> Please yikes, tell me what's, yikes, what's yikes. Up, oh yeah, five, what's five, what's the Do you want to guess? Um, I'm trying to think of what uh, 2010 was like. Uh. So this is this is April of. Was it like a? Interesting. Was it like a Marvel movie or something? Nope. No. I. This is the sort. Of, I would never. I, I wouldn't be able to guess this one. So I'm, not <laughs> I'm looking surprised. at your. I'm looking at your tablet. Oh, are you seeing? Yeah, it's Furry Vengeance. Oh, the bringing free like the last. The last. Yeah, basically before Brendan goes into. Uh, obscurity. Well, I, I mean, it didn't he? He did another mummy movie after that. I want to say. Yeah, he probably did. Like, and then, but yeah, that's when he started. He was definitely the most bankable star by default uh, for a while. That even that one. Yeah, but um, it tanked. <laughs> it it was budgeted at thirty five million dollars, uh, and domestic didn't. Clear eighteen <laughs> worldwide. It did. It just barely cleared its budget, which means it lost money. Yeah, according to um, according to accounting, it didn't make its money back. So right. So I mean, it's an it's an interesting. Um, and like I remember this not doing well, but when I checked it yesterday, it cleared its budget. Yes, this was one of actually I think one of the more successful ones. So. Um, it well no I guess I take that back I think it actually didn't make quite as much money as um, as uh, friends uh, with money friends with money exactly yeah uh, which I which also makes sense because it doesn't have it doesn't have uh, Jennifer Aniston in it it doesn't have uh, you know your Francis McDormand it doesn't have quite mm-hmm. the yeah friends with money was definitely like this reach like this reach for success yeah and at least it it felt like it was swinging for the fences a little bit Mm -hmm. and this one i i just like how like uh, for one so do you want to hear some other films that were in the uh yeah in 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 the top like 20 or so let's say so Mm -hmm. the losers okay um that's the dc Idris Elba. Is it Idris? It's somebody. The Losers. It's the guy from... Uh, why, why am I blanking on this? He's, I mean, like, he's one of the guys in Walking Dead now, or was for a while. He's the guy with the, the spiked bat or whatever. Oh, um, um, the club. Yeah. Uh, who, show, who, who basically, he, he felt like he was showing up in everything for a while. Yeah. Um, He's the guy who plays the comedian in mm-hmm. Watchmen. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Death at a Funeral uh, remake. Oh, God. You've got Alice in Wonderland is still hanging in there. Uh, uh, criminally having made, at this point, domestically, <clears throat> or no, I guess total gross, uh, over $300 million. I'm like, seriously? Really? God. The first hot tub time machine is hanging out in there. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, yeah. That's a, now that's a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm 
Oh, Harry Brown was out. I, you know what? I still haven't seen Harry Brown, but I, I feel like that's one of the, one of those latter day, um, Michael Caine films that people enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's it's interesting. It's kind of a precursor to things like The Old Man, and uh, and Nobody, and where it's like the older, you know, guy coming out of retirement, still being a badass kind of yeah. thing. You know, um. <laughs> Yeah. So please give open in five theaters, though. Okay. Uh, on five screens, it was uh, in its first week. So, you know, considering that, that it makes uh, you know, an average of over 23000 per screen, it's actually doing better than some of the other films that are in much wider release. I know I was living in Illinois at the time, like in Bumblefuck, Illinois. Mm-hmm. So it probably wouldn't have gotten to, like, us maybe... Like at least a month or two after it originally come out, mm-hmm. if we were lucky, and I don't remember this movie doing well, but like that's why I'm like I'm surprised. Like it cleared its budget, and well, when you have a budget of three million dollars, it's easier to clear well, yeah, budget. it's easy to clear a budget. But I'm like, like there are some, like there are some movies of hers that like have just absolute taint. Well, I, you know, it's it's interesting. How do you market this one? It's a movie about adults. It's mm-hmm. a movie about liberal guilt. It's a movie about you know people at a time in their life when they when they are kind of wondering, you know, as their daughter is nearing adulthood, what what holds you together in your marriage? You mm-hmm. know, what is it about you as a couple that still works? You know, is yeah. this it's you know, because and, and I have no experience with this, obviously, but <laughs> you, you get together with somebody, you have your early life together. And then if you go right into having a kid, then your life for the next 18 years, if you stay together, is about is about the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so then who are you together without them? Right. And that's I mean, they're they're kind of beginning to deal with that. Um it's an interest. It's it's also a look. You know, that's that's one plot essentially. That's an A plot. Let's say the the simultaneous running plot. The B plot is Rebecca Halls, who is, um, you know, you you've you've got, you've got. Catherine Keener who gives because she feels bad. Mm-hmm. You've got Rebecca Hall who gives just because it's her nature. Like right. she's the one who's taken on the care of her grandmother. She's in, you know, she's her her job mm-hmm. taking mammograms uh is also it's it's you know it's it's a service um mm-hmm. you know it's in 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 healthcare and so forth. So um you you have the person who is by their their nature what what somebody like Catherine Keener's character is because of feeling bad yeah <laughs> about what what she has you know mm-hmm. um someone who like and she doesn't Rebecca Hall's character doesn't take the time to enjoy life right That's yes why she won't drive up north until she does until she does to see yeah to see the leaves. And, then and here's she the feels thing. I'm with Rebecca Hall. I'm like, what the fuck am I going to go look at some leaves for? Yeah. <laughs> and then she realized, oh, that's what they're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and I've also had those experiences where I will get out there and then be like, 
Oh yeah, okay. You're right. This is majestic, or this is you know, it, it is good to stop and and look at the at the changing colors of the leaves and actually kind of mm-hmm. leave your own personal world for a little bit. Leave your own personal world. Yes. Yeah, see what I did yeah. there. <laughs> Pun unintended, um, but yes. Yeah, so it's it's interesting, and of course, you know, there, of course, there's the age difference. Rebecca Hall is somebody who is, you know, at least plays anyway. Like she's somebody in her probably mid to late twenties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've got Keener who is is playing somebody midlife. You know, at, at least in their forties, mm-hmm. um, and at, at kind of very different different points in their lives. Um, and also two people who don't, who definitely don't, uh, it's of course in the unique situation of they have bought Keener and Oliver Platt, who I hope to spend some time on Oliver Platt because he's fucking great in this movie. Yes. Um, and, and to be fair, when isn't Oliver Platt great? True. I can't think of a movie where he's horrible in. Even, even if the, the even, even if the in, vehicle itself is bad, Oliver Platt is usually pretty fucking. I was gonna say the the first movie that comes to mind is Executive Decision, where Oliver Platt is by far the best part of that mm. movie. Then Steven Seagal dying half and like in the beginning. <laughs> that's that's the. Two. I don't think I've ever seen that movie. <laughs> it's, I mean, no, because it's 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 not going to be in my lowbrow watch. Uh, it, it's. It's a tight little movie, but it's yeah, it's, it's so fine. so the the relationship between Hall and Keener is brought about by the fact that Platt and Keener have decided to buy the grandmother's apartment, who mm-hmm. is on her way out. She's 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 dying. Um, you know, whether or not she's willing to recognize it as she continues to say, you know, when my eyes get better, when my, when my feet get better, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then Amanda Pete being the person who's like, those things don't get better. They only get worse. Yeah. Like it's direct. It's mean, but yes. it's not wrong. I, you know, Pete's character is really interesting too. I feel, um, especially, you know, you want to talk about, why you know people's motivations the motivation for the affair with pete and platt the their two motivations are very different as well Mm -hmm. and of course platt has guilt that he's working through on that Mm -hmm. um and pete i think feels more like she's in this position of she talks about the shopkeeper that her boyfriend dumped dumped her for who's got the broad back and um (laughs) Is like, you know, she she obviously is having some troubles with insecurities. You know, the fact that she goes for the tanning and the takes uh, take puts so much into the surface, right? Because mm-hmm. she doesn't like spending the time to examine what's underneath because she is not liking what's underneath. Yeah, basically. And then when she, when the moment that. Oliver Platt spills his gut. Mm-hmm. Like she's like, I'm not going to sleep with I'm you not anymore. Sleep with you anymore. <laughs> I can't have sex with you anymore. Yeah, yeah we're done. Yep. Oh. Yeah, because all she wants to do is know that she's desired and to do the fucking and to get out. As soon as he starts having or needing to get deeper and have this, you basically spill his emotional guts. She's like, you're not. I can't sleep with you anymore. You're not attractive to me. 
which I would argue that he probably was not attractive to her at the beginning. It's more of the uh, oh, this gives her the chance to be the other woman kind of thing, and the and and in that kind of situation, not that I've been in that situation, but if you can divest yourself emotionally to the point where you can have like she's met Keener at this point, she's mm. she's met the daughter, she's had a conversation with the daughter, and she can essentially without without at least it seems that way initially. I I, th- I think that she does have a little bit of a of of a of an aha moment later, let's say, uh, where she feels something or feels bad about something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she can just have this com- this 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 affair with this guy and not not be thinking about his situation, not be thinking about the fact that he's married, not be thinking about any of that, not really caring about any of that. And then when she does feel guilt mm. she takes it out on her on his daughter yes. was an enzyme peel so, well so that's interesting do you think do you think that 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 is her taking it out oh yeah or see i didn't i didn't read it that way i read it as she i think it's a, i think it's a couple things i think it's Taking out her guilt, she realizes, oh shit, uh, she's going to find out that I slept with her dad. I I think she pretty much lets her know that she yeah, slept with her I've dad. Slept with she dad. tells she tells you know she tells I her that like her dad's been coming it. in and yeah. having and getting facials. I'm like why wow, um, he has perfect skin, like. <laughs> um and also it's like, I'm gonna, I have to fix this. Yeah, like, I have to fix this now before. She grows up and is, you know, ugly or something. So I, I want to talk quickly about the plot. Mm-hmm. I want to get the full plot out of the way so that we can we can talk about a few key things that I I, I, I think and, and and you know if I miss something mm-hmm. and you want to bring something up of, of course. But oh, yeah. the general plot is that you've you've got the these neighbors. You you've got the um, you know they're they're kind of like parallel stories here of of um their keener trying to you know she's a what she's a secondhand furniture store owner essentially Mm -hmm. she's dealing which which um you know to this day i mean that kind of like mid-century modern kind of uh you know people being interested in furniture from the 50s and 60s and um the I think that's interesting, the whole thing of how that comes to be in the shop. Basically, somebody has to die, and you go and see what you can... You try to lowball somebody on something that you're going to charge 10 times more for. Yeah. Uh, and and it's kind of an ugly business when you think about it that way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a depressing business when you think about it that way. Yeah. And I think that that actually largely you know, plays into some of... Keener's liberal guilt you know it's that she's profiting on on people's deaths um and on their heirs not knowing any better of the vintage of the furniture and what things are really worth and so she feels like she makes her living by taking advantage of people essentially Mm -hmm. so to to assage some of that she she gives to people on the street you know she um (laughs) what um 
Anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. And then you've got Rebecca Hall, who's the mammogram tech who spends her all her time taking care of her grandmother, doing the shopping, doing mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, helping her out there. And, uh, you know, all of that. Then you've got the, they get together for this, this dinner where you, you really get introduced to Amanda Pete as the person who just says whatever the fuck she's thinking uh, and sort of is prides herself on just telling things like they are. It pretty um, much gets drunk, doesn't give a shit about anyone else. Yeah, no, just like is is obviously, you know, batting her eyes at Oliver Platt and then is telling, you know, right, insists on speaking about what their plans are for her grandmother's apartment right in front of her grandmother, knowing that she's going to have to die in order for any of that to begin taking place. Mm-hmm. Um. But so and as this goes on, you've got the great Lois Smith character who comes in and 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 plays matchmaker with uh, Rebecca Hall and and my grandson. Exactly. He's short, but (laughs) Um, so so you've got that You, you get her kind of like finally getting to to experience something other than just doing something for other people. She finally is able to do something for herself and has has some of that going. And what's interesting is the way she begins to carry herself after that changes as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very subtle performance turn, which I, which I love. Uh, the affair starts with Platt and Pete. Um, you've got the escalating tension between mother and daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got uh, then, you know, the, the, of course, Chekhov's can of grapefruit juice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> The, the classic turn there, um, you know, and and then then was it botulism <laughs> or was it not botulism? Who's yeah. to say? Who's to say? You've got this this great interesting I think turn where where because of that Keener and Hall actually you know I, I feel like really come together and Hall gets to to see some of why you know gets I think from keener some of the things that she did not get from her grandmother as far as as empathy goes and mm-hmm. uh certainly from of course there's there's the undercurrent of the grandmother raised them but the grandmother was always very abrasive their father left at some point when they were when they were very young the mother killed herself so it's a lot lot going on there right mm-hmm. um and that is essentially the plot. The only thing is that there's kind of a button on, on the mother daughter relationship where, where Keener, who's been insisting that she would not spend so much money on a pair of jeans for a teenager, finally just you know, well, is happy to give her daughter what will make her feel better. Um, because she, I think, there's something very symbolic about the hug. Yes, and the relationship between Rebecca Hall and Catherine Keener, mm-hmm. it's like they both acknowledge that they're without prompting that they're good people. Yeah. That you, like, cause Rebecca Hall feels guilty that she feels like she's somewhat responsible for her grandmother's death. Right. Cause she didn't go out to get the groceries. She was, she was at, on a date. She was on a date. Yeah. And she left her grandmother in the incapable hands of mm-hmm. Amanda Pete. Yeah, I'm sorry, you said incapable? Incapable hands. <laughs> yes, okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> in, incapable. Yes. Yeah, yes. Because um, her hands were being very capable with all of her plat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which, um, dude, like, could you be any more obvious that you're going to go? <clears throat> yeah. What you're doing in front of your wife. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm gonna go run some errands. I'm gonna go yeah. run some errands. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. It's 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 like it's like he suddenly becomes Lovitz for a minute. Yeah, that's the ticket. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and and two people are gonna get that besides you. <laughs> that's the ticket, and that's for you guys. Um, but but then uh, she, I, I she's starting to feel. It's the, I think after the encounter with um, Sarah Vowell and Jason Manzukis, Which I, I have that, yeah, uh, I have that note. Like Manzukis without a beard, first of all. I think that's the only time I've seen him without a beard. Uh, arguing about, you know, whether it's a rug or a tapestry. Okay. Which is such a Manzukis <laughs> argument to have. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm like, this was written for him. Like, he, he's obviously improving. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Sarah Val. It's great to see Sarah Val, uh, you know, and, and, and I don't know if you caught, but the book that Keener is reading in there it's is Assassination, Assassination Vacation. Vacation by Sarah Val. Yeah. Yes. I, I noticed that because um, I, uh, so, and she feels, starts feeling guilty. She has, and she sees the vision of the dead woman on the yes, chair yeah which i gotta tell you that part almost that part got to me yeah when she starts she has it's the combination of like ha- talking to the designer mm-hmm. so it's like these pieces of furniture carry ghosts and she sees yeah. a ghost on the chair and i think she's feeling the guilty. return of kevin corrigan too yeah and yep with her ex <laughs> yeah within the hollow center universe like I'm like we did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, in the uh, in the HCU, the Hoss Center, <laughs> I'm all about the HCU. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call this series. We call it the HCU. The HCU. <laughs> there we go. Yes. Um. Anyway, so she starts feeling like, and then there's the argument with her and her daughter in front of the homeless dude. It's an interesting kind of crisis. Yeah. Oh yeah. Where, yeah, where she cr- takes the 20 back. Yeah. The twit, like the yes. cringy argument that they have. It is cringy, but it's, I, I felt for the daughter. It's, she's like, you, you never give me 20 bucks. Right. I mean, and at that age that that's a very valid point mm-hmm. because it's, when you have the mother who's like not really getting what's going on with you or you feel that she doesn't get what's going on Mm -hmm. with you and she's about to give some a complete stranger $20 and she's like you you know and then of course Keener's argument is I get I get you everything you want you know or everything you need or whatever it is and and she's she you know she gives she has to give the guy the five bucks and and is apologizing and it's they're both missing what the other is going through right in that moment they couldn't be speaking more completely different languages at that point right i think pete doesn't see amanda pete doesn't see what her sister's going through right uh rebecca hall right and keener doesn't see what her daughter is going through while it might be all surface and show like yes she doesn't feel appreciated and then with the i guess what i'm going to is this hug is like this reassure uh, like you don't have to feel this way. Right. You're, 
you're doing good. You did not kill your grandmother. She was going to die. Yes. Well, and what's interesting is, again, they're pretty and, much relative strangers. Yeah. And then she, and when she's going, you're doing fine. Mm-hmm. You are a good person. Yeah. And I think they both need to hear that, yeah. which is what makes the $230 jean purchase yes. with the with the low-cut jean. <laughs> right, right, right. So, like, guilt-free is like going, I have... I've been given, like Rebecca Hall gave me what I needed to hear. Yeah. That I am a good person. Well, and in turn, Keener gave Hall what she needed to hear as well. Yep. Uh, because she's also, it, it's interesting. There are a few things that are interesting with that too. It, it, it gives, it's almost like it gives Hall permission to, to, again, not feel guilty about doing things for herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she, she obviously, you know, unquestionably was okay. So I want to back this up for a minute too, because, because you have, and this is what I'm loving about the HCU. Okay. <laughs> this is what I'm loving. As about we're now the dubbing HCU. It. Yeah. Is that, is that you've got two couples essentially in the case of Hall and Pete, their sisters, but then you've got Platt and, and, and Keener. In both instances, they're they're going through relatively the same things. Like, like I said, going back to what I was talking about with their daughters is grown up. They're they're not sure what what compels them to stay together anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, what's what do they you know? It it it's 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 like they seem like great friends. You know, because mm-hmm. they still have this language together. The way they talk to each other in the shop, the way they talk to each other in bed. But there's also there's so much time together that that great conversation they have when he's rubbing her feet and talks about the toe that's turned, you know, yeah. kind of, and he's like talking to the toe, like it's, you can, you can do it. And she doesn't give a shit about what Howard Stern did that day. Yeah. Uh, him talk and she, where she says, you know, you used to, you used to read too. Yeah. <laughs> so they feel like, yeah, it's like he used to read too, like magazines. Yeah. But <laughs> right. And then they find out, like the reason why right. he yeah. never got magazines is the downstairs the neighbor. neighbor. Yeah. Well, that's what he puts it on anyway. Yeah. But but you've also but they're they're going through something together and responding in very different ways, but they're also not communicating what mm-hmm. either one of them is going through separately. Which I find that the moment in the clothing store you you feel like they might begin to sort of like come back together and have that mm-hmm. have some of those conversations sort of although i have i have some doubt as to whether or not Oliver Platt ever says anything about sleeping around i don't think he will uh and so that 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 brings up I, I, an interesting uh you know moral quandary of mm-hmm. of which is not to not to again mm-hmm. bring up Woody Allen but talking about let's say crimes and misdemeanors where the overt conversation is if you kill somebody and can get away with it, you yeah. know, why not? But at the same time, like not that I'm defending this at all, mm-hmm. but half of the, re- but it's because Catherine Keener is kind of so far up her own ass with white guilt. There's, there's a lot of that. Um, and she isn't able to discuss She, for one, he doesn't see why she feels so bad about what they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
Yes, that conversation right there. I mean, when they have the mm-hmm. like the when they, the conversations they're having in the shops, you know, mm-hmm. that's she. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She doesn't like like she she's like I she doesn't get it, and she's, she's cutting herself off from him. Yeah, as a result, and he because he's feeling caught. That's when when <laughs> of all the things he bonds with Amanda Pete with. Yeah, Howard Stern. Right. Oh yeah. Facials. <laughs> like that's what causes the connect. He feels seen. Right. Right. So yeah. so you've got well so you've got that dynamic with Keener and 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 so, Platt and, and then you've got the whole and Pete one mm-hmm. where they are also dealing with trauma that mm-hmm. they went through together. You know the suicide of their mother being raised by. Uh, you know, by a grandmother who, who knows what was going on there. You, I, I have some thoughts on that. I, you know, I, I think a lot of that ends up falling under. Uh, it was a, it was a different time kind of thing. Their mm-hmm. grandmother obviously is from a very different generation mm-hmm. and kind of put into this position of needing to raise them and probably not having the tools necessary to do so. Yeah. So Hall's response is to, it you know is is a complete it, it is like to divest herself of. Her own, uh, her own desires, kind of thing. Her own needs, you know, to just only think of others. Pete's is to, it feels like anyway, is to only think of herself. Yeah. Uh, and that's interesting to me as well. And Hall just being appalled, like you know, she raised us. You know, we have we owe this to to her. And Pete's very much like, no, we don't owe her shit. Yeah. Like we like and. It's funny, it's like, and when the grandmother eventually, when they go to her funeral, mm-hmm. they find out she was like this donor to the ASPCA, like, right. and what, like she's this generous person. Like, and they're both like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's a good person. <laughs> and also, like, like, like going, she, she had some good in her. <laughs> yeah. I, so, well, and, you know, I want to talk about when when Pete and Platt do come together, mm-hmm. it's very much that they, they look miserable together. Neither one of them ever looks happy. No, it's, it's the, you know, they're going for this, like, I don't know, immediate. They, 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 neither one of them necessarily feels very seen. They both seem like they're pretty insecure about themselves. And so they have this moment where they're like, you know what? Maybe if we fuck, it'll make us feel better. And of course, it does not make either one of them feel better. No. Um, you know, I, I'm, I think that this brings up an interesting point, too. And it, it's a very much what do we owe each other kind of question. Oh, yeah. We're talking. We're going back old school. We are. I, it, we're it's, going to what the fork. Yep. So and, and and it falls under these motivations things, right? Because again, Keener's desire to give is motivated by guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, one might argue, I don't think that Hall's motivation feels purely selfless, but it's at the expense of taking care of herself. Yeah, and it's um, I, I think she feels obligated. Right. Yeah. It's family. Yes. Yeah. It's it, it's definitely yeah a, a sense of obligation kind of thing, and also its own form of avoidance because then she doesn't have to, you know, she doesn't have to be present for other people. Right. 
Um, She's going to make herself for the short men of America. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, how, how great is that scene where she has to like kind of like... Sc- I know! <laughs> sort of crouch down in order to be able to kiss him. Yeah. Like it's, after it, that, yeah. like appalling... It's not so much appalling, like it's appalling... Like it's this mildly risque joke about mammography. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, 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 Pete and Hall have this interesting conversation about... Hall is, is, is saying, you know, we owe it to her. And Pete's like, we, we don't owe her shit. She was terrible to us. She was, you know, she was mean to us. She did a bad job of raising us. And I, I think that that's an interesting question that gets raised and not necessarily resolved is, do we have an obligation to, to those that were terrible to us just because we're related to them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, does, I, does it? Do we forgive them for what they've done because they're on their way out? Mm-hmm. And then also, is forgiveness? Who is that for? Is it for them, or is or it, it for, for you? Us. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would argue that if the forgiveness is for you, then it's important to do it. If it's important to you to resolve something because you don't want to be saddled with this, these dark feelings about somebody or these negative, you know emotions that you're just carrying with you that are eating away at you, then maybe that is important to do it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's an interesting thing to think about. And I, I believe also why this film simultaneously could never be a hit and is an amazing film. Yeah. It's really good. I, I just, I, I was, I, I saw your letterbox box of at least that uh, of this movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, there's a couple points that got me. Like the, when she sees the woman in the chair that she just, in yes. the ugly chair that she bought. Yes. That got me. The, when they hug each other, that yes. got me. Like yeah. this release of guilt that they finally have. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, I don't have, like, like, I'm a good person. I don't. And she, like, and she realizes there's this jackass who does the same thing that I do and just buys it from my store. Right. And sells it for even sells more it for money. more money. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so like, and I, I that kind of. There's some great things surrounding that too. There's yeah. the one where she takes the the little like ceramic thing back to back to the guy, <laughs> and she says it was worth it was worth some money and gives it back to him, mm-hmm. uh, and then he promptly drops it yeah. off off camera. I love that. <laughs> oh shit! That kind of. <laughs> I, that kind of in that moment, I think, nicely sums up the movie. Is mm-hmm. like, like you can do kind things, but you're not responsible for what other people do. Exactly. Yes. Uh, but I also love the, the you know that she buys. You know, there there's the the scene with Corrigan and his wife where she's <laughs> like, you know what, actually. You know, even though she's totally bullshitting, she's like, actually, this is this stuff's worth some some money. I'll I'll pay you X amount for it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, including the chair, you know, <laughs> and and then she takes it back. And the couple that's looking at the bookcases, you know, she charges them probably way more than they're worth because oh, yeah. she wants to to for the same reason that she buys it, she wants to to sell it to these people who, you know, it's it's the question of. We, we we want to feel we it's an interesting comment on how much value we put in our stuff. Yeah. Too. 
and how we want to feel like we didn't waste our lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's, you know, the value that we put in things. I'll tell you... Uh, having a certain aesthetic. Well, and not even just not even just that. So one of my... <laughs> I, I don't have very much from my grandfather mm-hmm. who who passed away. I, I had, you know, many years ago at this point. Um, we had an interesting relationship. It was an important relationship to me growing up. Um, and like the only thing pretty much like the only actual item that I have from, from him is this tie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably from the, from the sixties or fifties or sixties. I'm actually, I'm wearing it in that photo with my, at my friend's wedding. Um, God, that photo is. You're clean shaven and have it. I think I'm I'm 18 in that photo. You really 19 tops. You really haven't changed other than your facial hair. But go on. Ah, uh, my hairline's gone back a little bit. I think I'm actually in a slightly better shape as well. Uh, but that's not here. So that tie, which I still have, um, is probably my prized possession at this point. I mean, it's it's really it's like all I've all I've got from that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have a lot emotionally invested and it's a fucking tie right you know um i've thought about this a lot lately probably because i've spent so much time alone and because i'm uh, i'm turning 40 this year you know i I look around at all this stuff i have and i'm like if i die today you know you would probably come in and take it all uh but no (laughs) i mean your your brutal youth uh, poster is definitely going is definitely going on my wall. <laughs> it, it's just, so at this but that's but that's really about I, I've 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 come here to feed your cat and I, I've looked at your shelves and I mean your Sparks records and your poster are probably the only things I'm going to take. Oh well, thank you. That makes me feel so much better. Um, I don't have any place to put this shit anyway. <laughs> But, I'm sorry. I'm making light of when you're trying to be serious. Well, well no, it's it's. I, I have put. This is what I have chosen to put my time into. It's what it means a lot to me. But if I were to die today, it wouldn't mean shit to most people, mm-hmm. you know. And certainly nobody that I'm close to. I, I I I at this point I don't have I don't have a spouse to leave anything to. I don't have a child to leave anything to. I don't even have you know, a, a younger relative that I've sort of been a mentor to that I would leave this stuff to who would it, it would matter to. It's, you know, it, I, it is just a lot to kind of, and, and again, for, for a relatively light comedy, let's say, dramedy maybe, it's, it's a really deep thing to focus on, the kind of we we feel like we want to make an impact while we're here and that it's going to matter to somebody when we go. Mm-hmm. And that's, to your point, I think, again, that's also what the hug represents. Yeah. Because they realize that these two people only knew each other for, like, hung out for about 10 minutes. Yeah. Total. Well, maybe two hours, because I forgot they had the dinner. 10 minutes in this movie. Mm-hmm. And they realize that they've had a tremendous impact on each other. And 
then what's going to happen is they're going to have <laughs> they're going to knock down the wall of their grandmother's moldy ass apartment. Yeah. And which, um, by the way, the scene at the super's office or super's apartment, like when was I in a wheelchair? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. Was, well, and then when she has the beauty products that, yeah, that the, uh, the grandmother threw down the, the garbage yeah, it's chute. Like, yeah. Things don't mean shit. Yeah. Like, um, I've, as someone who just has moved and has had to merge a lot of stuff and like, I get asked a lot, like, what are you going to do with all these CDs? I'm like, I'm not getting rid of this shit. Like, like that's concerts I've been to. That's right. musicians I've met. That's music that I've loved. Yeah. Um, that's why I still hang on to a lot I, of my concert tickets, my, you know, mm-hmm. my ticket stubs, my, you know, I, yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it means something to me. Like, yes, it's in my garage right now. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and then, a lot of time, I'm like, what are you going to do with this stuff? Like, I have, like, old books of Mormon that I've had, like, that I gave my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Does it, do I, is it something that, it's something that you can get literally for free for calling a toll-free number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, or having two guys in white shirts and ties. And it's not necessarily something I, the words inside are not saying I particularly value anymore. Mm-hmm. But it meant to me that my grandmother kept it, um, that I gave it to her and she kept it and I somehow got back. I have this hardcover book of Arizona highways from 1973 hmm. that my grandmother bought after her and my grandfather went on vacation. Wow. That was give, gifted to me. Um, by my aunt and, um, doesn't mean like I've maybe looked at like maybe three times, but it means something to me because it was like, it's kind of like a peek to what my future would be mm-hmm. like in this hot godforsaken state. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, there's a lot of shit in there that like, just means the world to me. I, I, to your point too, it's just, well, and I think this is also a relatively recent phenomenon. And when mm. I say recent, I'm thinking of, you know, roughly 50 years, let's say, yeah, you know, 60, something like that, where, where we have the luxury of accumulating stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's kind of crazy what we imbue this stuff with or, or the kind of, the kind of, you know, uh, for, for lack of a better word, the kind of pressure we put on our stuff to fill some sort of, to fulfill some sort of need or to, I don't know, to, it, it, it definitely, it definitely takes the place of something, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, the fact that, the fact that I, 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 you know, put on, uh, the amount Okay, so this will be the last thing I say about it, right? Is that if I look at some of the stuff that I've even just acquired over the last few weeks, so I'll focus specifically on the records. I got the reissue on gold vinyl of Mighty Like a Rose, which is one of my all-time favorite Elvis Costello albums. Uh, it's, It's... 
a lot of people it's not their favorite, but I think it's a gem of an album. It's, it's one of my favorite Costello albums. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you right there. It's it's And it's also something that it's, it's something I've been looking for for a long time and finding original copies is hard. And like, all I want to do is have it so that I can put it on my turntable and listen to it come through my speakers as, as a record. You know, it's something I, I have two other versions of it on CD. I've got like the special edition that came in a cloth bound thing and I've got the Rhino reissue that's got the bonus disc. And, you know, so I didn't, it's not something I needed. You know, I, I picked up uh, Fold Your Hands, Child, You Walk Like a Peasant and Dear Catastrophe Waitress on vinyl. And, you know, I've had this CDs since forever. I've probably had them since I was in my early 20s. And, but for some reason, putting on Fold Your Hands and hearing that come out of the, off the turntable and, and, you know, it's it almost like, and I haven't listened to that album in forever. Yeah. But then hearing "Fought in a War," mm-hmm. and well, you know these these things, it's it they, they bring me great joy. There's just there is there's a definitely no matter what kind of rough patch I'm going through, and I I I'm going through a very rough patch personally. Mm-hmm. If I take the moment to pause and open the dust cover of my turntable, take the record out of the sleeve, put it down, put the needle on it, and stand there with the, with, with the you know, reading the lyrics and hearing this come out of my bookshelf speakers, that just, it, it makes those other things go away for 40 minutes, yeah. you know? the time it takes to listen to side a and flip it over and hit side B. Mm-hmm. No, it's, um, I, 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 over when to relate, um, like I, over the hall, the 4th of July holiday, I finally organized my office mm-hmm. and it, like I have, I went through like all my movie posters that I've collected to see if I wanted to replace my Heart Huckabee's poster that I've had for years. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I kept it on because that movie means something to me. I hung up the rest of my pictures and my frames. And while listening to records that I've collected over the years, and I... It's my stuff. It's stuff that I've collected and has meant something to me for the longest time. And it's undeniably my my things. And it's stupid. Mm-hmm. It's just like, but this collection of things that there just happens to be a treadmill in the middle of <laughs> <laughs> means something to me. Uh, and um, no, like my <laughs> my kids, all my kids see are um, the transformers mr potato head i have (laughs) my andy warhol art cube which they've ruined and my duke silver and devo funkos (laughs) (laughs) but there's something that means something to me they don't know who the fuck duke silver is they don't know he's ron swanson secret identity from parts and rec they don't know that i like to whip it Whip it good. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? 
like they just see something like a, a silly thing and like that mean like this chip means something to me yeah. uh that the cd is in my garage like and i think kristen understands to agree i'm not trying to throw her under the bus here but a few weeks come by and she's like what are you gonna do with that stuff in the garage you know somewhere i don't know what i'm gonna do with it mm-hmm. like i don't like I'm probably going to put it on like one of the shelves on like on top here or something because I can't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Like I waited 10 minutes in front of the great Nick Lowe with a Sharpie. So he would sign my copy of the convincer. Mm. I stood for a half an hour in front of a cold deer in Milwaukee to have Rufus Wainwright sign something on mine. Mm. I've, um, you know, and like a lot of these CDs in here are just like just bands in Milwaukee or bands in Phoenix that I've covered whose music I loved enough to write about. Sure. Like and like I it's just um I can't get rid of it. Like I have like a camera that takes shitty pictures, like a film camera mm-hmm. that takes horrible, horrible blurry pictures. <laughs> I'm not getting rid of it. That's something that my dad gave me. Mm. Um, so like I'm, I'm, and you know, I, I can see why Catherine Keener kind of feels guilty about selling these furnitures and these things. Well, I think but, that it's interesting that it comes to the point of, but it has no value for the other people. Well, for certainly for the people who are buying but, it. Yeah. 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 And it has no, and obviously the people who are selling it don't see the value in it either. Uh, yes, to a degree. Well, I mean, because Platt definitely doesn't have the same feelings about it that she does. He mm-hmm. just sees it as a resale thing, and they're you know, it's 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 their store. It's how they make a living, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what he sees it as. He he seems it seems very easy for him to divest himself of. Well, and partly, I'm sure that a huge chunk of that is that he's not going out and making the buys. She is. Yeah. Um, but to see it from the whether it's the the instance in the apartment with the with with the guy talking about, um, you know, who who really doesn't. You know, he's he's talking about how he doesn't know how much any of this stuff is worth. He's he's. I mean, it seems it seems like he feels something, some grief over the loss of his grandmother, but he doesn't know anything about the stuff, what it's worth. He doesn't want to take the apartment because he prefers the suburbs to the city. Uh, you know, it's yeah. it, it's it's and it's a very different. She's still it's it's interesting because she's still like he he obviously wants it to be something because he he's going i mean you can see that he's going through something but it's not the same thing as the corrigan interaction where it's like he needs this stuff to be worth something because yeah. he wants he because because of his grief over his grandmother he he wants it to he needs it to be that she made choices uh you know that and it's 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 pretty crazy the mm-hmm. like the two different the two different reactions and of course corrigan's reaction is much closer to what what Keener's character is feeling, which is that, you know, it's like these, this is the, you know, in cases where it's the first one where she knows this stuff is worth something, even if the grandson doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know, so she feels like she's taking advantage of him. 
she, in the other case of Corrigan, is doing something not dissimilar to what she later does for Rebecca Hall, which is to give him something to hold on to when she says, oh, yes, this is very much definitely worth something. Yeah. Even though it's not. Because in that moment, she recognizes what he needs, Mm -hmm. uh, which is then something she's finally able to do for her daughter Mm -hmm. in the moment where she relents and buys the jeans. $236. Jesus Christ. I've never spent that much on... (laughs) Single I feel bad for spending. I spent $50 on a pair of jeans like a few weeks ago. I felt guilty about that. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, but they're definitely the most comfortable jeans I've ever worn. <laughs> <laughs> so there's some, so there's some, you know, like, but it's denim, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> well, so I, I feel like we've, we've definitely, we've definitely talked this one. Um, I enjoyed this conversation. This is by far having seen enough set. Yes, um, which, which I haven't seen. Yeah, which I'm looking forward to revisiting because it's the first movie. The next I movie seen. on the slate, yeah. and it's also the first movie I watched. I, I ever saw when I moved to Phoenix. Oh, um, so it has like a little bit of special value to me. Okay, because um, I got to see it in um, Camelview before they tore it down. Mm. Um, but um, this is by far my favorite. In the HFC, HCU, HCU. Mm-hmm. This is by far. I, I'm surprised. I'm surprised how much this one got me. I, it got me good. It it's interesting. I, I feel like it was a it was definitely worth the five dollar purchase I made last night. Well, it, I mean, and I yeah, I I I, I bought it on on Blu-ray. Um, you know, I rented it at some point, and, and I I must have rented it. Although I swear I saw it for free at some point, but. Anyway, yes, and it's worth revisiting. I, I've I've I found that the second time I watched it, there were a few things where, rather than just being taken in by the surface story and the performances, because I know I was focusing a lot on what Platt was doing, which I think that he he, as far as somebody who can convey this this kind of internal struggle, mm-hmm. while he, you know, you can see just even as he's leering lasciviously at Amanda Pete, mm-hmm. you can also see the guilt in his eyes and yeah. how, how much of that, I mean, how many people can, can pull all of that together in the same, in the same performance. And the fact that Keener in her performance notices it, but is so far up her oh, ass to not notice it. And we didn't even bring up the, the, when she goes to, to um, work with the with the children with Down syndrome. Oh my God! <laughs> and she's crying, and the woman who's there is like, "Get out of here! Like you can't! Like what?" She she cries because she feels bad for them, and the and the the woman who's giving her the tour is like, "You can't bring that here." Yeah, you have to go. Yeah. And the girl. The who, scene in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. That just that that's the other thing that broke me. Yeah, it was the it was the old woman in the chair, mm-hmm. and it was her crying in the bathroom. Yes, yeah, those got me. Yeah, good. Yeah. Like, oh my god. So, so yeah, great film. Um, I think I do need to tell though. Um, I have a Sarah Ball story. Okay, well, I, let me hit some things on the on, yeah, the, yeah. on, on the movie real quick. Yeah. First of all, we did touch on it briefly, but Lois Smith is fucking brilliant in it. She's yeah. she's just absolutely fantastic. Love her in this, and she's usually pretty fucking great. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so huge shout to Lois Smith. Uh, the doctor, um, uh, Rebecca Hall's boss or whatever, mm-hmm. the, the doctor of that office, uh, plays Max Medina in the Gilmore Girls. I'm just saying. So oh, he's he's one of which he's, he's directed of, episodes of. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. He's one of uh, he's one of Lorelai's boyfriends before she and and Luke finally get together. Spoiler for for Gilmore Girls. HC, so uh, HCU coming together with the with yeah it, it, it's the mingling worlds of uh, of um, we're like a Tignataro like <laughs> cameo short of like a full circle here. Well, okay, and let's talk about um, the other. I don't know if you noticed this. But the person who's interviewing Rebecca Hall in the cafe telling her that her hair is not <laughs> yeah, brown. I, the worst date. Black. I don't think that was a date. I think he was interviewing her for something. Like, because he, he says, you said in your, or you said in your, your profile. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whatever it was. Yeah. I, think, I the, figured there was an electronic date. Uh, okay. I, I think that she was interviewing for something else, but I, I, I mean, I could be wrong about that. Anyway, the, the important part of that is the guy, I don't know if you clocked this, but he is in physical. He's the guy who plays the, like the mall manager. He's yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. I knew um, I knew him from somewhere. That's I, 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 it took me a while to, cause he's he looks the guy younger. Running for, he's yeah. the guy running for office. Well, is, is he's the campaign manager, though. I don't think he's, yeah, oh. I don't think he's actually the one running, but he's definitely, I mean, he's the one having the affair with Rose Byrne. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and in that last episode, obviously, the, the, he's the one that's, you know, that's masturbating while she does uh, the mutual, like, or whatever. Anyway, so that's where he's from. Um, I don't know if you were aware that the person who plays the grandmother um, is... I have this down here. I knew it was her last role. Well, um, so it's Anne Gilbert. Anne Gilbert, I knew her best from playing Millie Helper on the Dick Van Dyke show. She's <laughs> the she's the neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. So that's um that's where I knew her from. I know I know she's she had done many other things, but yes, and, and that was her last thing. Um oh and the um, Abby, the daughter, has a destroyer poster in the back. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. it's for for trouble and dreams. I noticed yeah. that. I was gonna mention it to you, like you did see the, you did see that she has a destroyer poster, right? Which then brings us back to to Manzukis, who is a huge destroyer fan. Yes. So, anyway, those those are the last bit last bits of trivia I wanted to bring. And up the, about daughter, the, the daughter, the oh. daughter's in Spanglish. Um. Oh yeah. Well, and I guess she's she's done other. T- I think she was in Scandal or something like that. She's been yeah. in like one of the. She's been in a few things. Um, I was trying. Was to... it the Good Wife? I don't know. Anyway, she's yeah. She's in one of those. Um. So I I did watch the 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 behind the scenes thing the you know and then the Q and A with Keener with uh, with Hall of Center rather, um, and she talks about having. Um. Platt in mind for the role that that she wrote for him, and that she always has Keener in mind when she, like she's writing the roles for Keener to play. Basically, they've yeah. worked together so long that she knows exactly what she would want her to play. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's it. That's what I have. Go for your Sarah. Oh, uh, so my Sarah Vall story. So, um, um, so I've been like, I know you're thirsty for Catherine Keener. I wouldn't say I'm. Thir- Wait, I'm, I'm sorry. Is that coming through on this podcast? Yeah, a little bit. It's, it's a, <laughs> you I, delve and, into the HCU. 
<laughs> Bring it back full circle. I don't say I'm thirsty, but I definitely have had a crush on Sarah Vowell for a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, she's, yeah, she's cute as a button, smart, funny. What's smart, not to, funny. Yeah. yeah. What's not to like, right? So um, right around the time Assassination, the book that Catherine Kinger reads. Assassination Vacation. Yeah. Assassination Vacation. Um, I She went on tour um, for it. Mm-hmm. And it's about a few months after my mom died. I went to see her in Chicago. Mm. And I was just trying to get going my writing going on a national level at that point. Mm-hmm. And I knew she had written for spin. She, I've read, I talking about shit that I have like in storage. Mm-hmm. I have probably all Sarah Vall's books, most of them autographed. And I oh, just well. read radio on, um, her, which is like chronicles her story of how she got in this American life. And I asked her like, what, should I, how can I get into music journalism? Because mm-hmm. I'd done on a local level, I moved away from Milwaukee, and she gave me a few suggestions. And, um, and she was really nice to me. And of course, like, I drive home from Chicago and I'm like really excited and everything. And of course, at that time, my music career, you know, my music writing career didn't go anywhere. Um, but Fast forward maybe four or five years ago, mm-hmm. I get to interview her. Oh, wow. Uh, she, for New Times? Or for New Times, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I remember because it was Becky who got the story going. Who mm. um, helped me go prove the story. and So I interviewed her, and it was just this long, long, long interview. Oh, wow. And she did one of her... Um, I think it was, it wasn't Lafayette in the somewhat United States. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was, it was one of her, but one of her, you know, her history books uh-huh. and she was touring with Daniel Handler. Oh, um, Lemony Snicket himself. Yes. Who did just written his first, it was sort of like what it was kind of marked as a YA book, but it's definitely an adult book. It's sort of like a uh, this cross between Portnoy's complaints and the perks of being a wallflower. Huh. Like okay. it's <laughs> I don't think I've read that one. I've, um, I've read a couple of his things, but I'm I'll have to let you while. borrow it. It's 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 pretty good and it's a really quick read. Um and I went to go see them in Mesa where they were speaking, and I don't think they got the crowd they wanted because oh. we were literally on the stage in seats and there were maybe about twenty, thirty people there. Oh really? Yeah, that's crazy. Um, it's crazy to me anyway. I, yeah, I mean, it's crazy I, to me too. Because I, 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 especially since I consider Val kind of a, a rock star, literary wise. Yeah, and so I got to talk to her, and then I, I of course, during the interview, I told her the story of how we met in Chicago, mm-hmm. and then I waited in line, and she recognized me, like, and said, and from my voice, and said, "You're you interviewed me. That was such a great." And she just complimented me. Oh. And she wrote um, the book that you are. I think she, I'm pretty sure it was Lafayette in the somewhat United States. She said to my colleague, uh, Sarah Vowell. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, holy shit. Like that just meant the world to me. She was just amazing um, to me. And I, I still, I still crush her hard. And, uh, <laughs> 
and Kristen knows this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, it's not like she's going to listen to this tomorrow and be like, we need to talk about you and Sarah Vowell. <laughs> <laughs> and um, to see her in that scene with Manzoukas uh, just like made me smile. Oh, is it why we broke up? I think it's why we broke up is the, or is that the young adult one? I'd have to see the cover. Um, no, that's not it. Okay. Anyway, um, it's like it all up. the, it's like all the parts or something or. Oh yeah. I know what you're talking about. Um, like I said, I'll have to let you borrow it. Um, it's, uh, oh, by the way, Daniel Handler was, um, sarcastic and funny and a complete ass to me. Um, and rightfully so he was great. <laughs> That's, I mean, there, didn't he do something with Stefan Merritt? Yeah. Yeah. He, him and well, for one, he's like, they're in magnetic field. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's done anything with Stefan since magnetic fields. Yeah, I knew he was involved with that, though. And I think that they did He's some... He's accordion player. Yeah, he did some music, though. I think they collaborated on some music for a series of unfortunate events. I yeah. seem to recall something about that. I mean, that, I mean, face it, Daniel Handler's, like, everywhere. Like, he, he's secretly... He's not, it's not so much of a secret anymore, but he's, like, fucking cool as shit. Yeah, I, well, I knew him from bef- before... A series of unfortunate events hit and hit huge. I remember reading one of his early novels, Watch Your Mouth, um, which is I. It's a really interesting book. I haven't looked at it. He he was kind of one of those kind of uh, I want to say like crossover literary uh, experiences that um, that lost um, that that or that fell victim to my uh, the breakup of me and my ex wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that was like Daniel Handler and George Saunders, uh, and then also Morrissey. Um, so for, for a while afterwards, I couldn't, I couldn't listen to any Morrissey or the Smiths or, or read any Saunders or Handler. So, well, I mean, you can't really listen to Morrissey now. You know what? I've come back around to it a little bit. I've been able to divest the, um, horrible human from the from the music there's yeah. just there are some songs that are too important to me that i mm-hmm. you know i it's well i mean we talk about this all the time but i feel like johnny Mars getting left out his brilliance is getting left out but i had found this morrissey bowie duet oh yeah they do uh, cosmic dancer together right yeah yeah and i felt <laughs> guilty for listening to it I, you know, Morrissey, we, I mean, we, we can't, talk, we can't about, talk about this. We, maybe we can talk about it on a bonus, but Morrissey is so insufferable and he's just, yeah. I, I think a lot of the time now he just says something so that people will pay attention to him, Yeah, uh, which is what he's done pretty much his entire career, except the fact now is that he has to be just completely, what he says has to be so horrible in order mm-hmm. to get any attention. He sees himself as an Oscar Wilde. Yeah. But none of what he says has any value. He, yeah, he's basically constantly saying either the wallpaper goes or I do. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, Let's go recommendations. Yeah, I guess. Um, you go first because... You're still thinking of yours. <laughs> I, I, well, I kind of am. It's just I, I, I have recently... I, I, I haven't necessarily watched a ton of stuff that's new. Um, well, you know you can recommend old shit. I, I can and I might. So, well, what I'm going uh, to recommend is um, there's a documentary series on Disney Plus right now called Light, Light and Magic. 
it's produced. I and the reason why I recommend it is because I don't think it's going to get. I don't think they're going to market it um, as well. I, I I heard. I don't think anyone knows anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a uh, produced by Ron Howard's company, and it's directed by Lawrence Kasdan. Mm. And it's essentially the origin story of ILM. I of Industrial Light and Magic, the effects house behind Star Wars and pretty much every movie you've ever loved. Right. And I've watched about two, three episodes now of six. And it's really is like this origin story of how one person, John Dykstra, gathered some of the most brilliant creative minds to put together Star Wars. Mm. Um, and Lucas admits this, admits as much. And the documentary is like, I wasn't, and he's like, I wasn't, was very much not happy with Dykstra a lot of the time. Huh. But considering the fact that he pretty much made, but he gathered like this great thing of brilliant minds. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the reason why is because when he got done filming Star Wars in Europe and Tunisia, he only had three shot effect shots of Gazillion done. Oh yeah. So the whole second episode is about how they got their shit together. Um, like they were having so much fun putting this stuff together and they had to literally create shit from scratch. Um, hmm. Like engineer it all together and Jerry Riggin and all this other stuff. So that, but like Lucas, like, pretty much gets angina from like all this happen, you know, from this happening, uh, from the effects team fucking it up. I mean, but to be fair, they didn't do anything like, I'm not, I don't want to ruin it anything, but it's really, um, it's really interesting. Like the second episode, a lot focuses on his relationship with Coppola and how he got to star Wars. Um, and I, I just, it's just like the first episode's like, it's like Tony Stark gathering the Avengers. <laughs> like, huh. And the second episode is like, um, it's just this, how they, it's like they skip age of Ultron and then just go straight to infinity war. And they just like, we got to get this done or we're going to, fuck up this movie that changed America, changed le- pop culture as we know it. Wow. Um, and just for someone who's an effects head like me, you get to see like all these brilliant names that you see at the end of the credits, like um, Dennis Murin and Phil Tippett uh-huh. and John Dykstra and um, Joe Johnston. All these people would go on to do brilliant things on their own. Dennis Murin pretty much created the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Right. Joe Johnston um, created the Rocketeer mm-hmm. um, and uh, October Sky and just and Captain America, the first Avenger. He directed these. Um, and um, Phil Tippett, um, who's getting a lot of press lately because of Mad Guy, like he created like all these stop motion things. Like mm-hmm. it's just... 
I could go on and on like, oh, like all these people have done. I'm like, I've only scratched the surface of this. And I don't right now because it's Lucasfilm is producing this documentary mm-hmm. as well. I assume it's just going to kind of mainly focus on the Star Wars part. But, and because Kazdan is... Um, but I'm curious to know like where they go like when, like later on because... Well, ILM was the effects house for so long. And it know. still is to a degree... Yeah, I mean, there. I I, I, th- I think that there are some others that have popped up in the age of of CGI, mm-hmm. but I mean, obviously ILM is still a big player. Mm-hmm. But for a long, long time, and they, you know, I, I think this has come up relatively recently when talking about, um, like who was available to to do effects. Uh, I I, uh, I think because it was so limited for so long that if ILM wasn't doing your movie then there your options were severely limited to to who you get and i think yeah. it was um i think john carpenter uh escaped from what was the second la is the second one yeah uh i think what he was part of what he blames the lack of success on that movie for is the fact that he was the 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 company that was going to do the special effects went out of business and he was stuck with like something like some second rate player or something that, yeah, that, that had obviously everything to do with that movie other than <laughs> it's a sequel that came out maybe 18 years too late. It's, sure. Yes. It has Kurt Russell surfing in a sewer. I mean, obviously um, no one knew it was a sequel to Escape from New York. Mm-hmm. I had obviously nothing to do with this, but I mean, obviously, nowadays, um, like you got, well, Jackson doesn't own it anymore, but we had digital. You did like Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Digital Domain, which was Cameron's company. Is Cameron's company, and all these other like effects houses pop up because. And effects have been getting a lot of press lately too, because apparently Marvel, like, as someone put it, pixel fucks everything mm. um, for their movies. So, um, I um, now that you're saying pixel fucks, all I can think of is Josh Gad and Qbert. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Thank you. <laughs> Um, that's uh, but I, I I really recommend this. I I, I feel like the only re- like I'm it's, trying it's to called light and magic. It's called light and magic. Okay. It's on Disney Plus. And normally, like I normally I wouldn't even recommend something from Disney Plus because I figure it doesn't need my help. Sure, but I don't feel like I think this is like their Ms. Marvel. It's like kind of getting like under. No one's talking about it right now. Like even my friend who. I was talking to an old friend of mine who we used to work on digital stuff together. Mm-hmm. He didn't even know it had come out yet. Oh, interesting. So, I mean, if you want to know, if you're like interested in like what goes on behind the scenes, I think this is like a good, good thing. And like, I really want to show this to Beckett mm-hmm. um, because he's really into art and monsters and all this other stuff. I think it could give him a good direction on, maybe what to do like and how you can apply this creative stuff in the future gotcha um it's just really great um anyway did you figure did you decide what you're going to recommend well part well the thing is part of one of the one of the reasons that it's it's kind of 
you know, I got to dig back because it's been so long since we've recorded. I don't know if I've recommended something or not. And I don't, I, I think we the last time we recorded was before I saw this film. Uh, so I'm going to go for it. And if it turns out I have recommended it already, I, I'll let you see know. it again. Uh, so official competition. Oh, and you have not recommended this, but I know what this is. All right. This is, it's directed by, and I'm going to butcher these names. It's directed by the team of Gaston Duprat and Mariano Cohn. Um, it is, it's Penelope Cruz, uh, Antonio Banderas, and Oscar Martinez. Um, it's just this wonderful batshit comedy. Um, it's a beautiful looking film. It, 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 it kind of there's there's some surreal elements to the to the humor. Um, just some of the visual gags too are are fucking astounding. It's a great the the story itself is almost it's it's this heightened level. It it feels you know I, I would say it feels heightened on the level that a that an earlier Cohen brothers comedy feels like you know like like mm-hmm. a raising arizona or like a, a, a barton fink or something like that when the previews i've seen it looks like a pedro I, i'm gonna mess up his Almodovar. name yeah, Malifar. i've yeah. never seen in which i've i've never seen any one of his movies really yeah it's uh, it surprises me too like what blind spot it is because Actually, this, well so that's one of the reasons i went ahead and and, and got amoros peros um because I the only one that I've seen is and it was great was Parallel Mothers. Yeah, um, but it looks to me like one of these movies of like these '90s movies of his. Gotcha. And see, I don't feel like I can compare it to that because I uh, okay. that that it's the only film of his that I've seen. <laughs> Plus, the fact that it uses it uses like I don't, as Mark, his his pool. His I, pool. I, yeah. Well, yeah. If it's, especially Cruz and Banderas. Yeah. Um, I don't think Martinez has been in one of his movies. Has I, I? I wouldn't know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. But uh, but I I loved it. I think it's it's a great funny, um, you know, great funny film. I I'm sure it's long out of theaters at this point. But it, but it, um, it maybe it's out there to rent or something. It's it's and, it's on demand. Okay, you, you can get it on demand. I've I, seen it pop up because every week I check to see like what movie did i miss in theaters that could i possibly rent gotcha it's sort of like my thing now where i like what overlooked movie could i rent for six bucks and maybe watch and gotcha that one's kind of been on my radar a little bit and i i would i would if i would i would say you should do it does it and it's like a parody of like festivals there's that element to it it's it's basically so it's brought on the whole movie is started because the uh the sort of patriarch that um that gives the funding for for penelope cruz's character to make the film Mm -hmm. is um he's worried about legacy Mm -hmm. he doesn't give a shit about the arts essentially but he wants to be he wants to have his name tied to it so he's he's somebody who who had uh it's it's a like raised himself up by his bootstraps kind of thing started a pharmaceutical company that's where he made his money but he's concerned about what his legacy is so he in addition to he's like well i've got this bridge that i could dedicate you know have my name put on this bridge that that we're making um or you know i could do this film and you know so he he you know this is he chooses the movie yeah well i mean that's one of them and the whole thing is that he he just knows nothing about cinema at all he knows like other than 
he just wants he wants it to be good and to like win awards and have his name tied to it basically okay so this yeah it sounds like something that's ripe for for comedy yeah there's there's some just fantastic scenes in it i oh. i highly recommend it i also like penelope cruz's hair in the poster it's yeah it's very it's very large <laughs> it's it's all it's very much a piece of her her character <laughs> and well i mean so between this and and parallel mothers i'm very interested in diving into her career outside of american film because i've you know if if i look at what i've seen her in as far as american films go i it's, she's not somebody that I seek out so much, but seeing these two films, I'm like, she's an incredible actress. I, I, I need to see more of her work. And I think that this is, you know, actually, this to me is the value of, of going to, essentially what I've done for the last year, pretty much, is basically since, mm-hmm. basically since we've been able to really um, go back out to see the movies again, mm-hmm. um, is to look and see what's playing that is limited run that is, you know, that's art house, that's foreign. And to, you know, I'll see, I'll look and see if it's getting at least relatively good reviews and, and, and that kind of thing. And if it's, if it looks interesting, I'm going to go plunk down, Mm -hmm. you know, my, my matinee price for it. Yeah. Which by uh, the way, you're the one who recommended, uh, uh, as an update, since it's been six weeks, the listeners don't know that you had talked me out of going to see Crimes of the Future. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the last time we recorded. Yeah, you went to see Brian, Brian, Brian and Charles. Charles. Yeah. And I, I, I uh, it was very, I, I thought it was slight, but it was a, a nice slight. It was. Yeah, it's it a nice light comedy. It's yeah. a good time. Yeah. It's. It's not going to hurt anybody. It, yeah. It's, it's very it's, sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A little bizarre. It's it's a little sweet. It's a little bizarre. It's um, good natured. I'm glad I chose that over Crimes of the Future <laughs> uh, for a number of reasons. I haven't seen Crimes of the Future yet. I will probably wait till it's streaming. And I know our, our mutual friend Ashley Neftool. It's still his favorite of the mo- movie of the year so far. So yeah, um, that doesn't surprise me. No. It, um, nor, nor I. Now, and again, not meaning that in any bad way whatsoever. No, 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 no. It just. Um, I did Cronenberg a ton. I know I will like it when I see it. I, I just have I don't to know be. I, will. I you know. I, I just know. have to be in a mood, man. I just gotta yes. be in a mood. Yeah, There's, it's interesting, and, and we'll probably end it on this. But you know, talking about being, I think part of being again more open to seeing some popcorn fare, let's say, is that there are just. At this point in my life, there are some things that I don't feel like forcing myself to go see <laughs> or putting myself through. Yeah. And it may be an amazing film. It, it may be absolutely brilliant. But my my current state of mind anyway doesn't need that on top of whatever I'm already putting myself through. I think we kind of talked about it on the bonus episode a few weeks ago uh-huh. was like that's where I'm at too. Yeah. I, I, I have to be in a mood. And even then, like, I don't have to put myself through this. Yeah. I don't need to see Vico Mortensen and Elias I do like each other's scars. Right. Um, and am I going to, am I probably going to go Barnes and Noble soon and get Crash, the Criterion edition of Crash, Cronenberg version? Oh, yeah, not, not yeah, the Soderbergh uh, version. Yeah. Or not, 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 not Soderbergh. The, not the Paul um, Haggis version. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I probably for some won't. reason I always confuse Crash and Traffic. 
like the haggis version of Crash, and then Traffic. Yeah, I'm, I'm, the point is like, yeah, I'm probably gonna get it because I've only seen the movie like three times, but it's like kind of secretly brilliant. It is. Yeah. yeah. No, I've I've seen that one a couple of times. That yeah. that did not make it into my into my criterion by this last yeah. time, but um, but, but yeah. But like, am I ever gonna like? When am I gonna get out? Uh, unwrap it? Probably <laughs> three years from now. I don't know. I just feel like a guy have it. So it's right. something that meant something to me to bring it full circle <laughs> at, at the time. <laughs> well, I you know I think that that's I think that's gonna do it. Uh, again, because we kind of crashed into into recording. So I see we what were, you we did were, there. Yeah, see what I did. <laughs> um, and not not in the Dave not in the Dave Matthews band sense, but in <laughs> anyhow. A little burber. Um <laughs> anyhow. If you would rate and review the show wherever you listen to it, that would be hugely helpful. Recommendations uh, also hugely helpful. Uh and you know Mental underscore platypus everywhere. Patreon.com slash hoot and waddle. Uh, we are going to get some bonus episodes recorded for the month and put up there. And yeah, uh, my apologies. Uh, in the bonus episode, we'll talk about uh, my battles with COVID. It, it was hard to get recorded in July because the first I was out of town, then you were out of town, and then you were also sick and out of town. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll go over it. That's exciting or maybe not exciting, depending on how you feel about it. Anyhow. Uh, yeah, if you if you want to drop five bucks a month and get some bonus audio, that's where you can do it. And other than that, we'll uh, we'll catch you later, Plata peeps. Keep it mental. Platypus is a production of Hoot and Waddle, producing fine arts and culture podcasts and publishing works of experimental literature since 2016. To learn more about Hoot and Waddle, please visit hootandwaddle.com. To learn how you can help support and sustain Hoot and Waddle, please visit patreon.com forward slash hootandwaddle. <laughs>